0: Welcome everybody. Uh, how are you doing today? Good. Very good. Awesome. For so we're us. here to talk. Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, we're here to talk a little bit about um, the investor perspective in the NFT space. Um, w- welcome, Lawrence or so Lauren. You're from from Pantera. Maybe we should. What we should do is go around, do like a, a quick intro. But I just want to highlight that. Um, you know, some of us here represent. Uh, funds that are looking at kind of the companies in the space. And in particular, Aaron and Priyanka are representing a decentralized autonomous organization, Flamingo Dow, which is looking at kind of investing more in the art directly. But we'll dive more deeply into that shortly. So why don't we go around and kind of introduce ourselves? Um, Lauren, why don't we start with you?
1: Sure. Um, yeah. So I'm Lauren. Uh, I come from a technical background. I used to be a software developer at a trading platform and I worked in trading for a little bit at Bank of America in New York and I've been with Pantera uh, working on our longer term strategies for around two and a half years now. Great,
0: thank you. Aaron and and Pri?
2: Hey, sure. Uh, Thanks again, Jake and uh, and Sean for having us. Uh, I'm Aaron Wright, one of the co-founders of OpenLaw. We have pulled together a couple of DAOs in the blockchain Ethereum ecosystem including the the Lao and Flamingo DAO, um, have a background in law and technology, played a small role helping to launch Ethereum um, and really excited to talk about NFTs.
3: Thanks, Um, I love following Aaron's intro. Um, I lead operations for Flamingo, so kind of, um, you know, shepherd all of the members along, bring in new artists, you know, talk to the curators, talk to the artists. so so do a lot of that work and i have been with the open lot team for about three years now um
0: yeah awesome and sean uh should we introduce ourselves as well why don't you, why don't you go next
4: yeah i think that that'd be a good idea uh so sean lapel here i'm a principal on the investment team at fintech collective uh so fintech collective we're in the business of uh investing money to rewire the way money moves across the world um so we're an early stage venture capital firm we're, we're based out of New York City. Uh, investing across the broad church of fintech, so banking, lending, and payments, wealth and asset management, capital markets insurance. Uh, We tend to be the first institutional capital into the startups in which we invest. Uh, Very much a global thesis around fintech. We don't think um, it's all going to emanate out of Silicon Valley like some other tech trends. We think there's going to be globally distributed epicenters of activity uh, from New York to London to Sao Paulo, Brazil to Bogota, Colombia, uh, and our investments sort of reflect uh, that that strategy. Um, We now have 42 portfolio companies and uh, nine of them touch blockchain in some way. So uh, about 20% of them are either uh, operating on some sort of decentralized ledger technology um, and at the fund, we're big believers in this idea of the shift from industrial finance into network-based finance, and you'll hear me talk about it a lot um, during the presentation around DeFi about sort of uh, what that means, uh, what what the implications of that move are. Uh, but yeah, big believers in it and investing across across that thesis.
0: Awesome, thanks, Sean. And and just uh, from my own point of view, uh, CoinFund is a general focus uh, blockchain. Uh, fund, but we've we've definitely been following this, the NFT space for for a while, and our investors today uh, in a number of, of projects, including Dapper Labs, uh, Rareable, Niftex, I'm personally an angel in Async, and actually also just been in Flamingo DAO as well. So thank you guys so much for, for being here. Um, you know, let me let me start kind of with the basics. It it doesn't seem like investors have paid that much attention to the space until this year. Um, can we talk about what might have changed and what kind of companies are out there that are attracting investment? Uh, maybe
2: Aaron, let's start with you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think uh, up, up until this point, and we've seen this a couple of times in the cycles of Ethereum, uh, there's a kind of a bit of a pattern where you see a tremendous amount of um, developer interest It kind of percolates through to meetups and other uh, the broader Ethereum ecosystem. And then you start to kind of see enough kinetic energy form amongst that group to see it break through. Uh, And I think that's what happened here in the NFT space. So uh, NFTs have been thought about uh, particularly in the context of Bitcoin and Ethereum for quite some time since color coins um, with earlier uh, experiments like rare Pepe's and also with CryptoKitties during the, the token boom in 2016 to 18. Uh, But I do think um, kind of the breakthrough were some of the marketplaces and other tooling that I think many of the folks that are attending uh, saw um, some demos and other examples of earlier today. So those marketplaces, uh, once they became more mature, easier to use, um, we we started to see more and more folks um, both purchasing NFTs and deploying them um, because it just became easier to do so. Uh, maybe COVID had a, a bit to do with it. People are at home uh, and wanted to acquire some, some beautiful shiny things. Um, I also think, uh, I also think um, uh, beyond that, uh, we, we are just seeing a shift, right? I think we're starting to see that there is a real value to having a scarce digital asset that you can prove that you're the owner of it. Um, and I do think that that's another reason why there has been a shift um, on the. On the Lao and Flamingo side, we've been pretty interested in uh, the NFT space uh, from the beginning. Uh, so we back great projects like Super Rare um, and some other projects that we'll, we'll announce shortly uh, in the NFT ecosystem. Uh, we've also looked pretty closely at the intersection between NFTs and DeFi. Uh, the, one notable project there is Avagachi, uh, which is effectively an NFT that also has, in effect, a wallet underneath it, which is really interesting to think of a piece of art that can actually have a bank account along with it as well. Um, and we think that this is just the beginning. In part, uh, the Lao and its members uh, kind of incubated a, this idea of setting up uh, an NFT specific DAO uh, because it's unclear to us at least uh, where the value is gonna create. Is it only gonna go to the protocols and platforms themselves uh, or will it actually go into the ecosystem as well? Um, I, we think the answer is it's gonna go you know, in, you know, in both buckets. Um, and I think this makes sense in the context of the traditional art world. Obviously we've got great companies uh, like Christie's and Sotheby's uh, that are incredibly valuable, but the art market itself is incredibly large too. Uh, the last thing I think people are increasingly recognizing, or at least we are internally inside of the Loud Flamingo, is that the patterns, the technical patterns that people are uh, figuring out in the NFT space, both on the marketplace side and, and the creation side with tools like Async and others. I personally, I think, and I think a number of other members share this, this is the pattern for all property, uh, not just uh, art, not just media, uh, but eventually these same patterns will define how we uh, tokenize represent and digitize real property and a whole other uh parts of the economy data um intellectual property jake i've mean, written on that too so that's kind of what we're seeing.
3: i also if i could just add i also think i mean as aaron mentioned in the 2007 realm we've had you know that was like the first kind of introduction of nfts so you had all of these people and the bull market and everything else that added to it which introduced it to so many people and Many of the people and founders I talked to now fell into crypto because of 2017 in many ways. So you have this like, like influx of individuals, and then now with the rise of DeFi and the tech maturity there, we have all these people um, who have different tokens and more ETH and are playing around with different protocols. I think it's only natural to move to culture and art and music once you have any sort of money. <laughs> so to me, it seems like even more just the natural progression of, uh, you know, creating. Uh, capital, and then trying to spend it on cultural aspects of daily life, and this is just the digital format of that.
0: Brie, quick question for you. I know you tweeted on this idea that almost like the 2020 quarantine culture has impacted you know, kind of people's presence online and, and, uh, and sort of digital affinities. Do you think that plays into this space right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, kind of on that note that I was mentioning before, I, I mean, I think that more people were introduced since technology in 2017. And uh, yeah, Aaron kind of touched on this as well. But in 2020, being at home, being on your computer, myself included, I've been living in these Discord communities that are token permissioned. Uh, I've been playing around with like this, like yes, yesterday, for example, I think I spent like an hour of my e- evening just minting um, art block squiggles. I think you know we this this idea of like remote work has just the the, the distinction and line between work online and um, you know real life fun is blurred a little bit and and yeah I mean I think you know to that point for sure 2020 if, it has if anything like yes it must must may have been the decline of like you know us you know social interactions in a public place um, in the real world but online I think it's more it's been thriving more than ever and, and in fact i feel like i've met friends and built new relationships um all, all online this year um so for sure i think that this year had a massive play into that
0: awesome thank you
4: so, so maybe i'll give a little bit of perspective on the the DeFi side and, and bridge some of that gap um, i think for for investors in the in sort of the decentralized finance space um, especially early stage investors like, like Jake and I, um, we're very human capital driven. Um, and I would say there was a huge inflection point that happened, I would say, post the ICO craze and boom and the influx of capital that that happened during that time and the subsequent bust. Um, we were really starting to see entrepreneurs come through our doors here at FinTech Collective that really were intent upon building on decentralized infrastructure um, and doing it the right way and, and wanting thought partners, wanting institutional capital and providers um, and just the sort of talent, right? And, and you're seeing it showcased here today in the Betaworks event. Like, there's just really talented human capital focused energy and time, um, not just their full-time times, but weekend and, and spare time on building in the space. It it's, tends to be more ethos-driven. Um, so it's a mix of just smart people and just passionate about, about what we're doing. Um, and I think you're seeing that come across here today. Um, and then there's just unforgeable, undeniable, uh, Uh, metrics um, in the DeFi space, like now we have over $15 billion uh, under protocol uh, across uh, a a broad set of of, um, use cases that I would say now are past early product market fit. Um, So I think people have now, you know, have some visibility into what works and what doesn't. Um, And that goes back to as well, we'll talk a bit about sort of tokens and their viability within the DeFi ecosystem. Um, a lot of people are, you know, released tokens in sort of late 2017. Uh, probably were not super thoughtful about whether or not the, the, you know, one, uh, the project actually needed blockchain, first off, and second, whether it needed a token. Um, and I think we've come a long way in knowing what works and what doesn't, and that really helps inform sort of the ecosystem. And we have a few examples out there of, of what's what worked. Um, and it really helps, you know, investors. We, we say we're very smart, but then they were, were by pattern recognition, and we see some patterns that are working, uh, and we look to sort of replicate that um, across new projects that we see. And, and lastly, and I think, you know, um, uh, Priyanka and, and and um and Aaron, you alluded to this. I think this is all happening in the backdrop of COVID, right? Um, and I think for people who operate in the decentralized finance and crypto community, we look at just the sheer amount of money that's being printed. And there's a lot of fun memes around just sort of money printer go burr. Uh, but it's true. Um, you know, you know, US, you know, national debt has now crossed over 28 trillion. We just printed $3 trillion alone as, as a result of the CARES uh, Act. And, you know, it was needed, right? Our small businesses and people are struggling. Um, but, you know, what, what sort of the impact of that on a long term horizon? Um, I think in that backdrop, you've seen a lot of institutions, you know, from Square to the macro hedge fund crowd in New York City saying, hey, we're going to allocate to Bitcoin, like there has to be a better store of value in which we retain, sovereignty and a non-sovereign store of value. I think, ultimately, you're you're beginning to see some of that liquidity and money that's flowing to Bitcoin eventually going to flow into the Ethereum ecosystem and into these DeFi projects. And we'll talk a bit about, in DeFi, lastly, just the yield concept in in the world we're in today, besides this money printing, like, you can't find yields anywhere, right? Like, you go to Europe, there's negative yields. We have yields in DeFi, they're really attractive. so I think pockets of capital are really searching for yields and that's that's really meant they've sort of landed in this nascent space and are, are sort of learning along with the entrepreneurs building today.
0: Awesome, thanks Sean.
1: Yeah, I don't really have too much to add to that. I think those are all really great points. I mean, I especially uh, kind of mm-hmm. identify with um, Aaron's point about tooling. I think we've come such a long way since 2017 um, in terms of like, how you can actually interact with uh, Solidity code and, and what that means and how hard it is and what vulnerabilities there are. Um, so I think it's definitely become a lot more easier over time for developers to kind of launch new things.
4: Actually, Lauren, question on that also. I mean, you come from a, a dev background, I think. You're seeing um, sort of a few people cross the chasm from more technical backgrounds, Jake, you as well, right? Like this is tends to be a more technically driven space. Like for a long time, it was happening on Reddit and, and um, sort of out of sort of the public purview. Um, and now sort of thinking about things like code review and sort of contract vulnerability is like, we talk a lot about here that coding smart contracts is more akin to sort of coding hardware than a software in ways. Like you make a mistake, it's really costly. So I'm, I'm keen to understand just like your perspective coming from sort of the more technical background and what, what advantages does it does it give you as someone looking at investing in the space?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, now, I mean, what's gotten a lot of buzz is this idea of composability. So like taking certain pieces from different projects and kind of molding them together to form something new. It just, I guess <laughs> developers are kind of used to having like a lot of tools and libraries to be able to kind of easily pull in stuff that you don't really want to build from scratch. Uh, and in the beginning, um, Solidity and, you know, uh, <laughs> other, uh programming languages in the space, like didn't really have a lot of that tooling and there weren't a lot of libraries and documentation. And so it's just become a lot friendlier over time uh, to kind of build something up from scratch.
0: Awesome, thanks guys for the views. Um, And I know we kind of touched upon this, but I think this is a critical point for, you know, for all investors across DeFi and NFTs. Um, Let's talk a little bit about value capture, right? So what we see, uh, in many cases, is this process where uh, you know we're investing in these these things called crypto networks or decentralized networks, basically protocols that uh, create the possibility of uh, sort of services or issuance, um, and and the question becomes like, do we invest in the in the equity of the original company that's building it? Do we invest in the tokens? Do we you know in the case of NFTs, do we invest in the NFTs themselves? Um, so. Maybe starting with Lauren, like, can we can you talk a little bit about the value capture mechanisms in the in these spaces and and how you guys at Pantera thinking think about uh, you know capturing value and and making investments?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's something that we've discussed internally quite a bit. Um, I think every project also is different. Um, when we look at um, not just the M- NFT space, but like DeFi in general, uh, the things that we're looking for uh, include, I mean, not only total volume block, but things like uh, fee capture. And so how much of the fees are going towards the network and not just being distributed to to various uh, um, interested parties, like uh, token holders or people who are staking and validating. Um, yeah, so I think it, it just depends project to project.
4: Cool. Yeah. I'm willing to offer a little, little. I, th- I think you're right, Lauren. I second, second, second. A lot of that. It's very tough as it relates to sort of tokens to take sort of a broad church approach to sort of tokens in general. I think it very much depends on sort of the viability within the actual project. And really, at the end of the day, what is a token doing? Like, well, what's the value of like a token? And within Bitcoin, right? We're like, we're really coordinating human activity within that network. Um, so we take a very careful lens approach to sort of that token. You know, you know. So to Lauren's point, what's the, what's the value capture, right? Like a lot of these tokens, actually, the way they exist today, if they're fee-based tokens, whether that's um, things like MakerDAO or, or or things like Compound or things like what Uniswap may do, um, they actually take a portion of you know sort of the a fee on the activity that they're coordinating and really at the end of the day like you could start to begin to apply some sense of normal equity value valuation models to that like it's just a pv of future cash flows that the protocol may capture right so we're beginning to understand valuation methodologies a bit better understand it's it's, it's a bit fluid like no one fully has their arms wrapped around this because it's it's quite a new space and there's a lot of variables that go into that, um, but begin to think about valuation. Like it's not too dissimilar to looking at just valuation on some normal equity instruments that that we look at. And I think you know, Jake, I'm keen to hear your approach at, at Coin Fund. But you know, at FinTech Collective, you know, we do look at both. You know, to the viability of tokens and will will invest in tokens as well as equity because I, I do think you know, equity value capture and value added services on top of these crypto networks, like. Someone has to do that. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of protocols, you know, within DeFi are sort of put out into the world. And there's this expectation that, you know, people are just going to use it. Well, you know, we'll demonstrate and put some companies on showcase here today that are, you know, we've seen it in sort of the first half of the day. They're just making it more user friendly. Right. And there's value in sort of like that probably doesn't need a token. The companies that are doing the UI and UX for that, um, but they're much needed in the ecosystem. So we're, we're investing in equity as well.
0: Yeah, th- thanks, Sean. I mean, from our perspective, we definitely invest across the board. A lot of times we find it's a stage thing, right? Like later stage, you have more mature high cap liquid assets, earlier stage, you have more equity, more convertible notes. Um, in the active sort of bootstrapping phases of these networks, you, uh, you might be like earning tokens from the smart contracts, right? So that's active network participation. Um, let, let me just say maybe like 30 seconds on NFT space, because I think that one is particularly interesting. You know, from an investor point of view, uh, a lot of times folks uh, look at the NFT space and they say, rightly, you know, I don't want to be evaluating NFTs one by one. I just want to invest in the platform kind of that the trades them. But there's a lot of nuance there. So if you look at something like a marketplace, um, you're, you're typically monetizing through secondary sales, which is great because yeah. secondary sales are, are ultimately going to be like, you know, there could be an infinite number of them and ultimately is a good. Sort of revenue stream on average from all the NFTs, but what's also really interesting is primary sales um, and someone who is an issuance platform, someone who helps like creators to convert you know kind of their digital art or whatever into that first NFT is actually in a really nice position to take that primary sale commission and also to take potentially an issuance fee. Like in the case of Async, I mean they're providing a service that um, not everyone else is providing these like programmable art NFTs, and so that's that's valuable. Um, and the last thing to say is there's royalties, like in the crypto art world, and, and in the world of artists at large, like the idea of royalties is super important to their livelihood. The fact that we can enforce royalties on the blockchain, I mean, at least to some extent, is, is exceptional. And a lot of artists have really given a lot of positive feedback that that's something that they want in a product. And so any platform, uh, you know, that A, can create an issuance fee, B, can can get that first primary sale commission, C, get that secondary sale commission, and D, respect royalties, you know, I think is a very like in a very like um, good um, position in terms of value capture. Uh, whether that goes into equity or a token is a separate matter, but um, in the case of Rarible, that's a token. In the case of others, it's, a,
2: it's equity. I think those are great points, Jake. I, I, the one thing I'd add here we're also seeing other NFT-based projects where there is no necessarily equity or direct token into the platform itself. So, like a good example here would be Lava Labs and CryptoPunks, um, which is a really interesting, very early collection of NFTs that have gone up um, tremendously, uh, or in some instances, in and tremendously high. Um, so, if you want exposure to some of those platforms, it actually is in individual NFTs themselves. Uh, so, I think that there's an open question as to whether or not. Uh, in all NFT or NFT slash DeFi related projects, um, whether or not it will only accrete to the uh, platforms themselves. And then that falls into the points that I think you mentioned Jake and, and Sean and, and others, um, and whether that uh, will root down into equity or into some sort of governance token or something along those lines. But I think we're starting to see um, other projects where the value itself may be in the individual items. So pre mentioned this before, uh, an interesting project called Art Blocks. Uh, there may not be an equity, or token related um, uh, component to that, it may actually root down into acquiring those individual NFTs Um, and maybe a collection of them or rare ones will go up in value. I think the other thing that's interesting, and Jake, I'm completely sympathetic to the royalty point, I'm not fully convinced yet that we're not moving to a post royalty era. Um, And if that is where we're going due to the difficulties in enforcing IP and lots of other issues related to it, open source software forking, which kind of drives out fees and we've seen that in DeFi protocols, um, then I do think that the value is going to accrete to a token, something like a governance token, or to some of these individual NFTs. Um, so I don't think it's only going to be a mar- one marketplace. Um, but I think uh, I think it's if you're looking for value, it's going to come in a whole different uh, range of areas. And uh, it may be too early to know exactly where that's going to land. Uh, probably why it makes sense to hedge your bets.
0: Yeah, t- totally agree. It looks like we're just at time here, but maybe like as a quick lightning round as we uh, as we offboard just quick prediction
2: in NFTs or DeFi for the next uh, 18 months. Yeah, I I can start here. So I think the most interesting thing is actually the intersection between NFTs and DeFi. I think um, the broadest way to think of an NFT is actually as a container or a schema to manage a whole bunch of different things. Uh, And I think uh, people are just starting to explore this pattern uh, but you, you will soon be able to stuff an NFT with other NFTs or ERC-20 tokens through a variety of different platforms, and the use cases in both the art context and in the financial context, I think, are astronomically large. Uh, so I would definitely take a look at that. And I think that we're going to see more and more uh, intersections between NFTs and personal tokens, which are on the, the horizon, not to throw another jargon term, but I, I think it's, it, that's coming, too.
0: Great. Anyone else?
2: Quickly.
3: I kind of just, I guess, not dissimilar to what you were saying more about art blocks. I like this idea of issuing just completely, you know, generative NFTs to whoever wants them. It's almost like having, I mean, it is a token, but that token will, that NFT will also have utility for other projects, community use cases. It could, you know, form a, those NFT holders could form a DAO, uh, things of that nature. I, I think that that could get kind of weird and interesting as well.
4: On the DeFi think, side, quick. Oh, go ahead, Lauren, you go. Oh,
1: okay. Just quickly, um, I was just going to say that I think, like, I, I totally agree um, with, those, uh, with those points that we're going to kind of see, like, these new, interesting, like, maybe even more niche uh, and technical use cases for uh, these projects. But I, I would also, uh, one of my predictions is that we're going to definitely see kind of, like, projects that abstract away any sort of, like, crypto... Um, from the mainstream user, just to kind of onboard more and more people, Um, especially for DeFi, I think, like in terms of uh, what Sean said uh, about yield, I think we're seeing really great rates and people are gonna wanna have access to that, but I think crypto is still pretty daunting to to the average user.
4: So quickly on on the DeFi side to expand on that, Lauren, I think we're going to see some kind of mind-boggling names on the institutional side start to continue to. Well, we've seen the beginning of the drumbeat of announcements of corporates allocating to uh, to holding Bitcoin as part of their reserves, and I kind of include that in the umbrella of, of DeFi. I think there's nothing more uh finance than than bitcoin and non-sovereign money um it's gonna you know from you know it's gonna run the gamut of the type of people and you know they're gonna be institutional in nature they're gonna be large uh and then on the the pure open source ethereum side i think this breakneck speed of of um development and amount um of value under protocol is only going to continue i think you know in Warren and Jake's new world like if you're growing 300% year over year that's just amazing like we're seeing that month over month in in sort of the crypto space and I, I think that's going to continue um so I'm, I'm super excited I think you're going to see some, some some pretty crazy developments over the the next 18 months and and a lot of announcements of crossover of enterprise and institutions into the space
0: Yeah my my quick prediction is just that we're going to see some artists sell works at price levels we haven't seen before. I think probably the records are around a few hundred thousand dollars per uh, NFT asset, but recently we've had uh, POC kind of crossed the million dollar mark in in sales, but we're yet to see like a million dollar sale or something like that. So I think it's quite possible, you know, in the next year, year and a half. Um, Guys, thank you so much for your time. This has been super fun. Um, Really appreciate you joining the panel.